Good morning. Grab your Bibles. We're in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Anybody else tired from that Gator game last night? I am. I'm not tired from watching. I'm just tired of hearing about it. But um, <laughs> congratulations, Gators. All right. I do want to talk about being tired and a little bit weary today, uh, but not from watching football. You ever find yourself just worn out? Just a, just a little bit tired? Sometimes just a challenge to get up in the morning? You know, what's equally challenging is when we become weary over spiritual matters. We're weary of our church commitments. We're weary and tired from all the demand that uh, being a part of a community of faith sometimes seems to take, the personal struggles that we face to try to be right with the Lord. And, and so we can just get spiritually weary and tired and worn out sometimes. You've heard of WD-40, right? Anybody have a can of WD-40 at home? You, you, you should. You know what the WD stands for? It stands for water displacement. That's right. You know, you know what the 40 refers to? It, it's how many times they tried to develop an effective formula. They failed 39 times, and on the 40th try, they got it right, and so we have WD-40. The lesson from that is don't give up. Don't quit. Don't quit when you're tired. Don't quit when you fail. Don't quit when you, when you meet challenges, when you face challenges. Or as Paul would have put it in, in his letter to the, to, to the Thessalonians, the second letter, as for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. There's another way that Paul would phrase that, and he phrases it that way in our text today, and that is to press on. When you're tired, when you're weary, when you're struggling, when it's not easy, press on, which is the very thing that he says to, and tells us to do that he is doing himself in our text today. So I want you to open up your scriptures and let's stand together. We're going to begin reading in verse 12 of Philippians chapter 3. Here's what Paul writes. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on. I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have obtained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, the, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to, the subject, to subject all things to Himself. Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, 
Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Don't quit. Press on. Let's pray together. Lord, I perhaps need to hear this message as much as anyone today. It's not easy pursuing righteousness in you. It's not easy always having joy no matter what. And yet, Lord, I believe you've given us the means to be able to do that. And so as we reflect upon what it means to press on today and how we do that, I I pray that you would encourage us and lift us up, particularly those that are within the, the earshot of my voice who are desperate today. They're about to give in. Help them to see that it is possible to press on in you. Help them to see that goal, have that goal in mind, and to mature in you and not to let up. We ask this, Lord, believing that you will answer. And we pray it in your name. Amen and amen. God bless you. Go ahead and have a seat. Thank you. Our series of messages, we're getting closer and closer to the end. We'll wrap up in about three Sundays, today, next week, and the following Sunday. This series that we've called No Matter What, it's a, a challenge, a call that Paul gives to the Philippian believers who were in a situation in which it wasn't always easy to follow Christ, but Paul is calling them to have joy, be grateful, to be thankful, but mostly to have joy and to rejoice no matter what. And that it would include even when you're getting a little tired uh, in the faith. So how are we to press on? How are we to not grow weary in doing good? How can we experience joy even when we're growing a little tired? Well, it may require a, a change of both the way that we think, but also in what we are doing, which I believe is what Paul is appearing to say here. So I'm going to give you a couple of keys to having joy no matter what, even when it's a little difficult to do so, when you're growing weary in doing so. And here's the first key, and that is this, to think the right way. You're going to adjust your thinking. And that, by the way, that's an inward adjustment. It's a change of mind, a change in how you are thinking. And one way that we do that, to think the right way, is by keeping the goal in mind. It's about remembering what life is all about and why you labor spiritually. It's remembering what all of this is about. So what's the goal? Well, Paul refers to it in verses 12 and 13. Look at it. He says, Now that I have already obtained, not that I have already obtained this, or I am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Paul talks about obtaining this or uh, making it his own. So what is this? What is it? Well, before we get there, let me just point out a rhetorical device that Paul is using here. He's using parallelism in these two verses. He's saying two different statements, but they're basically the same thing. Both statements have a negative part and a positive part. The, the negative part comes in the first part of each of these verses, such as verse 12, when he says, not that I've already obtained this or are already perfect. And then another negative statement at the beginning of verse 13, brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. So two negative statements. And then two positive statements at the end of verse 12. But I press on to make it my own. At the end of verse 13, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Paul offers these two verses, these two parallel thoughts, 
to basically acknowledge that whatever it is, whatever this is, he hasn't achieved it yet. Whatever the goal might be, he's not yet completely obtained it. And for that reason, he keeps pressing on, pressing forward to achieve it. So what is the goal that Paul is referring to here? Well, he refers to it in the first negative statement. Verse 12, not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect. That word perfect, it's a verb which means to to finish. It means to complete, to accomplish, to attain. So what was this goal that he had yet not accomplished or finished, completed? Whatever it was, he says, "I, I haven't arrived yet. This is the Apostle Paul, by the way, one of the, 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 the Christians that was lifted up the most uh, that we are to emulate. In fact, Paul is even going to say, be imitators of me. He'll say it later in the text. And Paul is saying, look, I haven't arrived yet. I haven't, I'm not all that I need to be. I've not yet reached this goal, whatever it is. So what is the goal? We'll jump back a couple of verses. Go to verses 10 and 11. We, we read these at the end of last week. <clears throat> He says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and I may share his sufferings, becoming like him, becoming like Jesus in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So the goal that Paul is saying he had yet to completely achieve, that he wasn't complete in, is simply this, knowing Jesus and his resurrection power. That's the goal. Paul says that is his goal in life, but church, that is your goal in life, to know Jesus and his resurrection power and to know those things completely. It's not that Paul didn't know Jesus, he did, but his relationship with with Jesus would not be perfected until he was in Jesus' presence in heaven one day, until he had obtained the resurrection from the dead. So again, the goal is this. If you want to know what all of life is about, Christian, it's this, to know Jesus. To know Jesus and His resurrection power. And knowing that, and knowing as Paul said, that he had not yet completely obtained that, he wasn't perfected in that, we must not, we must not stop pursuing Him until we are in His presence one day. And so that is the goal, and we need to keep that goal in mind. So often we grow weary in the Christian race because we really don't know what we're after. We don't know what we're supposed to be after. We don't have the goal in mind, or equally bad uh, is that we don't have the right goal in mind. Let me clarify this, Christian, because you may not completely get this. The goal is not merely being a good person. The goal is not feeling good about your work for the Lord. It's okay to feel good about those things, but that's not the goal. The, The goal is not simply supporting your church, though it's good to support your church. The goal is is not about feeling good about our church. The goal is knowing Jesus. And the more and more and more that we become like Jesus, then closer and closer do we become to being complete or perfected in in Him. But here's the rub. We will never ever reach that goal completely in this life. We can begin the journey, and we should begin begin that journey, and we must pursue that goal, but we will never completely achieve or reach that goal in this life. The Apostle Paul, perhaps the most mature Christian to ever walk the planet, even he has said, not that I have attained this or am already perfect. He also says, I do not consider that I have made it my own. Paul says those things aloud because he's not ashamed of it. He just wants you to know, wants me to know, wants the Philippians to know 
that he hadn't arrived and that none of us have arrived, that he hadn't founded his completeness in Christ, but he knew it was out there and it would, would come one day, but he also knew it wouldn't be completed in this life. That's why he pressed on. It's why he wouldn't grow weary in doing good. It's why he writes in verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of, of God in Christ Jesus. Here when he writes these words in verse 14 is the goal stated in a different way. It is the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I want you to imagine what this upward call of God is like. It is to, to meet Jesus face to face one day. It is to, to then know Him completely and to be known by Him completely. It is a goal that cannot be experienced fully on earth. Now, can we know Jesus in this life? Of course. Can we grow closer to Him in this life? Yes. Can we get closer to completion? Yes. But we will never be completely there in this lifetime. It's only experienced fully in heaven beyond this life. You know, I, I'm, I'm fascinated and I, I'm impressed by those who are able to perform extraordinary feats. One of my favorite things is to watch documentaries of people who scale up cliff walls without ropes or people that jump out of perfectly uh, uh, functioning airplanes and fall thousands and thousands of feet before they let their parachute out. I, I, I love the, the, the watching and hearing the stories of astronauts who will be willing to put their lives on the line to be taken out of Earth's orbit. Well, I would also add to that list tightrope walkers. Anybody ever try to walk a tightrope? Not me. I'm, I'm too scared, right? So you know what they're also called, tightrope walkers? They're called fun, fun ambulists. Fun ambulists. I don't see any fun in that at all. There was a, a tightrope walker by the name of Dan Thurman who's also written a book called Off Balance on Purpose. He was sort of, it's a business book. And he was talking about how tightrope walking in the, in the business world have some similarities. And in describing a uh, fun ambulance, a, a tightrope walker, uh, they, they, he says that they, they are never truly at rest. They're never completely on balance at any moment. They're perpetually off balance, he says. They're, they're constantly, while they're walking that tightrope, constantly making adjustments and readjusting over and over and over again. He says most of those adjustments are very subtle. Uh, the person who's watching more, more than likely rarely sees most of those adjustments, making it all look so easy. But he says it's not nearly as easy as it looks. So how do they keep their balance? Well, here's how he describes it. He says, when new students step onto the rope or the cable, they almost always begin with the same flawed game plan. They stare downward at the wire to ensure that they have the proper footing, and that's when they fall. But he says, if you've ever watched a closely a professional tightrope walker, you may notice that they never look down at their feet or at the wire. Rather, they keep their head up and they look forward toward the goal to that faraway platform in front of them. See, that, that is the key to their success. They have the goal out there in mind, and they're pressing on toward it. And if, if you are t growing weary in your faith, using the same example, Paul would say, keep the goal in mind. And the goal is complete maturity in Christ. And you won't fully reach that goal in this lifetime until you're with Jesus. And so this is part of what we mean by thinking rightly. It's by keeping the goal of growing closer and knowing Jesus and growing closer to Him and keeping that goal in mind. 
But Paul, I think, would also say, yes, you need to keep this goal in mind, but you also need to keep your mind on the goal. It's one thing to, to know what that goal is, and it's another to, to, to remain focused on that goal and to keep focused on that goal, to keep thinking about it. Notice Paul's challenge in verse 15. He said, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that, that also to you. It's interesting that Paul is referring to mature Christians here. That word mature, the word Paul is using in the Greek language is the same word. Uh, it comes from the same word as the word perfect that we read in verse 12. In verse 12, we saw that word perfect, which means complete. Well, verse, tw- verse 12 was in the verbal form. Here, verse 15, that same or similar word is in, is in an adjective. And so why does Paul include himself as one of the mature ones here when he says previously that he's not yet perfected? Isn't that a contradiction? Well, not, no, not really. In verse 12, he's speaking of the goal, which is perfection in Christ, complete maturity in Christ. And, he, and here he is speaking of those who are on their way to the goal. They actually are trying to get there and they're making progress. They're maturing in Christ. They're on their way to full maturity. They're not yet complete, not yet perfect, but they will be one day. And what sets the mature apart from others is that they are constantly, they know that goal of growing in deeper in Christ and maturity in Christ, and they keep thinking about that goal. And they know that the goal is knowing Jesus completely. And not only do they have that goal in mind, they keep their mind on that goal. That's why Paul says, let those who are mature think this way. That word think, it just means to be intent upon, to be disposed to. It means to set one's mind on. It's as if you block everything else out and you're focused on this one thing only and that, that's how mature Christians think. Now, I, I don't, I don't want to be bragging here, but I'm going to brag for just a moment about myself. You were looking at the 1985 Kentucky Wesleyan College boys basketball champ in three throw shooting. Thank you. That's right. I went to a boys basketball camp and I outshot all the other boys from the free throw line. All right. The prize was a, a pair of free tennis shoes, basketball shoes, size 12. I don't know why they gave me a size 12. I didn't, I, I've never worn a shoe that big. Also, when I was in high school, I had a, get this, 91% free throw average. Couldn't do much else, but I sure could shoot free throws. Now, I know I owe all of my success to my father, who's here today. Uh, something my father told, taught me when shooting free throws, it was this. He said, son, you need to visualize the basket before you ever shoot the ball. And so over and over again, he would teach me to go up to the free throw line And before I ever uh, picked the ball up and shot the basketball, I had already visualized that the basketball was going into the basket. And so over and over and over again, that's how I would practice, hours and hours. I would look at the basket before it ever left my hand the ball. uh, I would watch that ball in my mind go up over the rim and into the net. And I would do that over and over again, practice, practice, practice always thinking ahead of time of the goal being made. See, that's what we are to do with our faith. Over 
and over and over, thinking about and visualizing what it means to be a follower of Christ. What life is all about, what the goal of life is. We are to keep this goal in our mind all the time. And keeping this goal in mind, full Christian maturity, and by keeping our minds on the goal, thinking about this over and over, being intent upon, being disposed to, setting our minds upon it. When we are constantly doing this, then we can make verse 16 a reality. Look at verse 16. He says, only let us hold true to what we have obtained. You see, as followers of Jesus Christ, we we are expected to live out these thoughts. We're not yet perfected. We, We will not be perfect in this life, but that is no excuse for us not striving toward perfection. We must not let all of the clutter of this world get in the way, but we must then put feet to what we believe. So again, the first key to pressing on even when you're tired and weary and worn out, it's to think the right way. Always have that goal in your mind and always keep your mind upon the goal. But secondly, here's the second key, and that is to do the right thing. This is where we put our feet to our faith. See, it's so much more than what we think. It's good to think the way you should, but you've got to put what you think into practice. Now you may be thinking, well, just the thought of doing anything else exhausts me. I'm doing enough already. Well, that's why it's so important that you first think right. Listen, we're all guilty of doing good things and doing lots of, of things already. Many of them are good things. And maybe you're giving too much t- time to the wrong things. Maybe you are focusing on good things rather than on the great things, the, the more important things, and maybe... You need to prioritize some of your activities. Well, I'm, gonna hear, I'm here to tell you that nothing, nothing is more important than your personal walk with Jesus. Nothing. And there are a lot of things that we encourage you to be a part of here, all kinds of activities, and then there's lots of things going on in your families and in your community. But none of that compel, compares to your personal walk with Christ. And that's why Paul, I believe, focuses on that very thing. So what's the best approach to doing that? Well, it's all about Jesus. The first is this. If we're going to do the right thing, we do the right thing first by imitating Jesus. Notice verse 17. Paul says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. And so as is typical of Paul, uh, he does this in many places in his writings. He holds himself up as a model for the Christian faith. And it may sound a little arrogant on on Paul's part to be constantly pointing to himself as the model, but keep in mind that Paul's model was Jesus. Paul says, join in imitating me. And he refers to the example you have in us. And so that that word example means a pattern or a model. So what was the example, the model that was seen in Paul? It's Jesus. When people were looking at Paul, and seeing how he was living out his life, what they were seeing was Paul reflecting Christ. And so Paul was saying, imitate me as I imitate Jesus, calling them to follow his example that they saw in him, Jesus' example being reflected in Paul. And he was offering them a a challenge. Imitate someone worthy of imitating. Imitate Jesus. And by the way, for those who, who might not be imitating Jesus, who aren't imitating Jesus, Paul has some difficult words. 
Look at verse 18. He says, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, many of those walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Now there is some considerable debate over whom Paul is talking about here. What I feel is more important than who particularly he's talking about is what Paul says of them and that he calls them enemies of the cross. Now as a Christian, you trusted Christ, you believe in him, you you know what the goal is to know Jesus, to know his resurrection now, to know all of that to be true, could there be anything worse to be called of you than to be called an enemy of the cross? What Paul is saying here, the people he's referring to here, He's saying they're not just neutral. They weren't just spiritually indifferent. There was no middle ground. You were either pursuing Jesus or you need to be considered an enemy of the cross, enemies of Jesus. And so Paul offers a strong warning about them. Verse 19, their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Man alive are those not tough words. Their God is their belly. In other words, their their desires are what is most important to them. They glory in things that they shouldn't be shameful about. Their end is destruction, it is judgment. Could that not be said of so many in our culture today? But consider even these tougher words. If you were not imitating Jesus and imitating those who walk in Christ, if you're not walking in Christ yourself, if that is characteristic of who you really are, friend, you're probably an enemy of the cross. And even Jesus himself has said, whoever is not with me is what? Is against me. And so when you're not imitating Jesus, when you're not walking in Christ yourself, if that is not characteristic of who you are, then by default, your God is your desire. Your mind is set on earthly things, not heavenly things. You glory in your sin. Your destiny is eternal destruction. But what's the corollary to that? What's the opposite of that? Well, if you are imitating Jesus, well, then Jesus is your God. Your mind is set on heavenly things. You glory in the cross, and your destiny is eternal life with Jesus forever and ever. Amen. Note note how Paul describes the future of those who do imitate Christ, who walk in Christ. Verse 20, verse 21. He says, Not like those who are enemies of the cross, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior the lord jesus christ who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to the subject all things to himself here paul is reminding us of something that's so very important something that we often forget and christian i say this to remind you yet again as paul is saying it to the philippians christians are not of this world Listen, I know sometimes we, we get so caught up in the, in the temporal, in the immediacy of the moment, but we must never forget that our citizenship is not of this world, it is of heaven. We are but foreigners and aliens and strangers here. We are just passing through. And if that be the case, we should not be found behaving as if this world is our only home. You know, the Apostle Peter said as much when he wrote these words. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. See, when we have that mindset that we are not of this world, we're citizens of heaven, not of this world, 
then earthly goals began to fade in importance and those self-centered desires that we might have, they began to diminish. And the reason why is we, be, we begin to realize and progressively grow in this, that we know that there are greater blessings awaiting us in heaven than this world could ever offer us. And so we don't desire to indulge so much in the things of this world. As one person put it, godly believers live in anticipation, not participation. See, those who walk in Jesus know that better things are coming. They know that Jesus is coming back one day and that he will then fully establish the, the, the kingdom of heaven, which is where we have our citizenship. And so in the meantime, we're called to act like those who are of heaven because we are. We're not of earth. And one of the blessings to anticipate is that these old bodies that we have, they get tired and, and they get weary and worn out. Guess what? Praise God they're going to be replaced one day. And we're going to have new heavenly bodies, resurrected bodies. Jesus will transform these earthly bodies to bodies like His, resurrected bodies. And there will be no more weariness, no more tiredness, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more, no more pain. And when you walk in Jesus and imitate those who, who do, you will be ultimately blessed for all of eternity. So do the right things by imitating Jesus and those who, who walk with Jesus. But also another Jesus focus by standing firm in Jesus. Look at verse 1 of the next chapter. Paul says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. This verse, by the way, is a transitional verse. It's going to help us transition out of chapter 3 into chapter 4. But in it, again, we see... Paul's love and affection for the Philippian believers. He loves them. He longs for them. He considers them, again, here's another listing of the word joy. He considers them his joy and crown. But then he gives a familiar charge when he says, stand, first, stand firm thus in the Lord. If that phrase, stand firm, is a little familiar based on our recent study of the book of Philippians, it should be because he said something similar back in the very first chapter. Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 and 28, he says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit. Standing firm. With one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. Standing firm in one spirit. So when Paul says standing firm... He's not saying stand still, right? He's not saying remain as you are. He, he, he's t talking about us keeping up with our eternal perspective. To stand firm in the Lord, to stand firm in one's spirit is to give Him our undivided attention, not just once in a while, not when we feel like it, not when we're, just when we're feeling tired, but all the time we are to remain solid in our commitment to Him, unwavering in our commitment to Him. And so Christian brother and Christian sister, I know that you grow weary sometimes. It's hard sometimes. Sometimes you just want to quit, to throw your hands up and say that I'm done. Oh, but don't do so. Stand firm in your commitment to Christ. Do not give up. Do not give up. Do not give out or give in. Stand firm thus in the Lord. An interesting incident happened during Alexander the Great's march to conquer the known world. There was a, a young soldier who become greatly frightened in the battle. He dropped his sword on the field, dropped his shield, and he fled the scene of the battle. And 
he was chased down and brought back to face execution. And he had to stand before Alexander for his trial. And uh, as this young man stood very humbly before Alexander, Alexander the Great looked down upon the frightened young man and he said, What is your name, soldier? And he said, It's Alexander, sir. And Alexander the Great said, Well, young man, change your ways or change your name. We've been called to stand firm, to remain true to who we are. It's the key for us to to finding joy even when we're about to give out. We stand firm and we do not waver. Friend, if somebody told you that the easiest way to live your life is to live for Jesus and you believed it, you bought a lie. Jesus never promised us that it would be easy. He never did, not one time. Paul neither. It's not easy living this life for Christ. It's it's easy to lose focus, to tire out. But if we will think the right way, remembering that the goal in life is Jesus and and knowing Jesus and, and knowing His resurrection, if we know it's all about full maturity in Christ, and if we will do the right thing so that our focus is upon standing firm in Christ as we imitate Jesus and walk with Him, the promise is this, that joy can be found, but only if that joy is in Him. I don't know where you are with Jesus. You know, at times, all of us will struggle from time to time about whether or not we stand firm in Christ Friend, I'm telling you, before you could ever stand firm in Him, you must begin your journey with Him spiritually. In order to imitate Jesus, you must first know Him in a relationship. I've told you that the goal is knowing Jesus and that that goal will not be completely known until you're in in Jesus' presence one day, but that doesn't mean that you can't begin the knowing of Him today. The the knowing in Him for all of eternity begins in this life. In fact, not only that, you will never know Him fully and completely and perfectly in the life that is to come if you do not first know Him in this life. And the only way for you to know Him is to be made right with Him in a right relationship, not by something you have done, but based on what He has done already. Jesus Christ has died for your sins. You are a sinner just as I am a sinner. We are all sinners born into this world with the curse of sin upon us all. And we, with this sin, can never know God and can never know Jesus in our own strength and our own efforts, but only based upon the forgiving work of Jesus upon the cross. We deserve to die because of our sin, but Jesus died the death for us that we deserved. His blood poured out, offering an atoning sacrifice to cover your sin. And our response to the, to the truth that He died for us, was buried, that He came back to life, our only response to that good news, the gospel, is to believe in Him, believe upon Him, and believe that He is God and that what He has done upon the cross was sufficient to save us. And we surrender our all to Him in repentance. If you do not yet know Christ, today is a really good day to begin to know Him. And it's a journey that begins today that will last into eternity when you get to see Him one day face to face. If you do not know Him, I would challenge you, today be the day that you surrender your all to Him. In just a few minutes, I'm going to, after a prayer, we're going to begin to sing. And 
begin to wrap up our time together. But following our, the conclusion of our service, I'm going to challenge you. If you do not know Christ, but you would like to know more about how He can be the Lord and Savior of your life, to speak with one of our pastors today. You'll find us spread throughout the room and in the foyer. In fact, there'll be one pastor off to my right, to your left at the cross. And as others are gathering their things and beginning to make their way out into the afternoon, don't you do that. Instead, find one of our pastors first and speak with them. It will be our honor to talk with you about how today can be the day that you trust him and begin to know your Savior and your Lord Jesus. Let me pray for you. Lord, I'm grateful for the challenge of this day and for this message. And to be reminded, Lord, that knowing you is the goal, but not just that it's the goal, but that it is possible to be found complete and perfect in it. And I know, Lord, it doesn't, it will not be found completely in this life, but we can begin the journey in this life, being saved by you and entering into a relationship with you that we may know you and know your resurrection fully and completely one day. But Lord, it begins with one step, the step of confessing you as Savior and Lord. So Lord, I pray for those who may be contemplating this today that they not fear it, but embrace it. Empower them by your Spirit and draw them to you, I pray, Lord. For the rest of us, Lord, I pray that, that now that we know Christ and are on this journey toward completeness in you, that, Lord, we would keep that goal of knowing you and knowing your resurrection always upon our minds and that we would keep pursuing you in Christian maturity by imitating you and standing firm in our faith no matter what. Challenge us now to do this very thing. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen.